Well, good morning, everybody. It is uh, so good to be here with you this morning. I hope you guys are excited to be here. Uh, week two of what we are calling Open House. Uh, this is a series that we are going over talking about um, what um, Bridgewater, what makes Bridgewater Bridgewater, what makes us run as we run as a church. So really, it is a, an idea. If, if you are a visitor this morning, it is a great time to get a look and say, hey, um, what, is, what is this church that I am coming to about? And if you are a regular, if you are a tender, if you are a member, it is a great opportunity to come and say, hey, these are why we do some of the things that we do. So open house is that idea of just trying to show you some of the things as to what we want to be about as a church and as a campus here at Conklin. So how many of you are excited to be here for this open house? A handful of you. Well, what if I spice it up a little bit? It's a four-bathroom, ba- four, uh, multiple room. Does that make it any more open for you? Does that make it any more appealing of a church to you? No? No? All right. All right. Hey, how about this? As we celebrate this morning, we're looking over here, and we're celebrating three carnations, and that's a tremendous thing, and we, and we celebrate life change. Why? Because that is what we want to be about. We want to be about seeing people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Since 2010... Bridgewater has seen just over 700 people put their, yeah, there you go, 700 people put their hope, their faith, their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And if you're saying, you're wondering, well, what what does that mean? What that means in a a nutshell is we believe that God so loved the world that he came, all right, and that that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. What does that mean? We, we believe that as individuals, as people, we have a sin problem. What does that sin problem mean? It means that we're separated from God. And in being separated from God, we were in need of a Savior. And when you come to the realization that you are not in control of what, where your life is going to end, but rather there is a God there at the end, and you come to the realization that I need a Savior, we put our faith. We encourage you to put your hope. We encourage you to put your trust in that Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What do we celebrate? We celebrate Jesus Christ. Why? We celebrate him because he is a risen Savior. And why do we believe that he is a risen Savior? Because we have an account written by Matthew who talked about the idea that there is this Lord and Savior that rose from the dead. We have an account written by Luke who was a doctor back there during the first century and said, you know what? I went back and I looked at everything. I interviewed people and I wrote a detailed account that guess what? People showed up on a Sunday morning at, where, at a grave where a person had been crucified and been laid in it, and he wasn't there. And there were people that saw him later on, and they talked to him. We have a further account by a man named Mark. Mark, who probably wrote as a result of Peter, Peter the apostle, um, wrote on his account and wrote a gospel saying that, guess what? The tomb, the grave was empty. We have an account by a guy named John, right? John, the apostle John, who spent all the, that time with Christ who says he was not there, but rather the grave was empty. You see, we believe in a risen Savior because of the eyewitness accounts of the individuals that were there 2,000 years ago to witness that this man Jesus had been beaten and that he had risen again. And that is what we celebrate here as a church. That is why we join together. That is why we come together, because we want to praise, we want to worship, we want to honor our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Because he has risen. He has risen indeed. So there, there we go. That's the Easter Sunday morning service in a, in a nutshell. But um, not only have we seen over 700 people come and put their faith and trust in Christ over the last 10 years or so, um, 
as a result of that, we have seen 600, and I believe it's 28, if I remember that number correctly, baptisms. All right, baptism is that public profession, that coming forward, that public profession that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Along with that, just to give you a little bit more of a detail, I see a handful of you wearing the light blue um, Bridgewater Kids. Um, you work back in the kids area here. Ten years ago, our uh, children's ministry was about 70 people. This is Bridgewater in total, all right, about 70 kids. For those of you that work back there today, we say thank you to all of you. Bridgewater in total is, has about 300 kids showing up per week. All right, that's just showing the growth of the church, right? Kids ministry, catching that next generation, hopefully. Wh why do we, we want to do what we want to do? We want to do what we want to do because we want to see the transformation of lives, and we want to catch the next generation that is behind us. Why? We want them to have a church that they want to go to. Thus, the open house that we're bringing you here to, showing you what we do on the inside. We want you to be aware of what we do, the reasons why we do it. So today, as we come to this open house idea, I'm just going to let you know, um, um, right up front, and I'll talk about this maybe a little bit more here in a little bit, but when you go up to a house, what, what's one of the first things you see? It's the curb appeal, correct? You, you take notice, you take, a look, you take a look at the neighborhood that it's in, and you're like, ooh, 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 I don't know about that one. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Or you're like, yeah, we can't afford that one. we got to keep going, right? Um, but you look at the curb appeal. And this morning, the idea that I want to talk about is really the porch. And we're going to come back to that a little bit later. But the porch, it's that idea of looking and catching the front of the house and saying, ooh, all right, it's something that we'd like to have. And I just want you to know where we're headed to. The Sunday morning service is really that idea for us. We want the Sunday morning service to be something that you look at, that you come to and you say, hey, I want to be a part of that. It's not all we are. There's more, right? We want you to become part of community groups. We want you to serve. We want to see you grow. But we want this aspect of the service to be something that you come to, you see, and you're like, hey, I, I don't know that I agree with everything they say. I, I don't know about that whole Jesus rising from the dead thing yet, but I want to keep going there. I want to hear more about that. Why? Because we believe that there are people that you invite that they may not be followers of Christ. You know what also we believe? We believe that there are people that are in the service this morning that may have just put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ this past week. And we want to make things um, we want to make things practical for them, something that they can understand. And this morning's message is going to be about that very idea. And it's found in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, I would, I would encourage you to turn there. But Acts chapter 15 is what we are going to be looking at. And in the passage here in Acts chapter 15, one of the things about Acts, as, as I talk about those, about those early, fo early followers of Jesus Christ, the book of Acts is really a story of what took place over the next 20, 30 years in the early church of these disciples who saw a resurrected Savior. The book of Acts now tells their story of what happened, of what took place, of how they were going about the then-known world and changing it because they were proclaiming this risen Jewish Messiah and people were believing them, and people were putting their hope and trust in him, and the world was changing right before everybody's eyes. In the midst of, in midst of difficulty of a temple that said, no, this Jesus Messiah, this Jesus rabbi, this Jewish rabbi Jesus was crucified, he is dead, all right? In the midst of that, in the midst of a Roman empire that was saying, no, 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 there is no God except for Caesar, all right? You have this religion, you have this Christianity, you have this movement. I really hate to call it religion at that time. I, I want to just say this movement of Jesus followers, this movement of Jesus disciples, this movement called the way that is, that is growing and coming across the entire world. And when we get to Acts chapter 15, 
we are looking probably 20, maybe a little more uh, years out from the beginning. And one of the interesting things that we're going to find out here in Acts 15 is that there were some problems that had arisen. Now, we're, not a, uh, now we're never familiar as people with problems within churches. That certainly doesn't happen today, correct? Maybe I shouldn't say that and get myself in trouble. But, but right, it, it's not new, all right? It's not new in our world. But right here is what the, um, Acts 15 says this right here. Let's take a look at these words here, all right? As we, go, as we go along, as we take a look at this passage, certain people came down from, Ju- from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, how many of you remember that in the Gospels? Does anybody remember that for the disciples to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that they had to be circumcised? Does anybody remember that from Jesus' teaching, that that was something that they had to do? No, we don't remember that from something that Jesus taught, but rather what we do remember that from is we remember that from Moses. That was the teaching of Moses. If you were going to be Jewish, you needed to be circumcised. Men, you needed to be circumcised, and a good, and a good Jewish individual would have been circumcised on the eighth day. That is how that would have taken place. Um, all of a sudden, men right here are saying, I don't know that I like the idea of joining Christianity. You have to have surgery unless you're circumcised. Um, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And some of you are now getting squeamish, and you're like, maybe I'm for the church down the street, right? You're like, I don't know about that one, right? That, that's what the men were saying in that day as well. They're like, um, I, don't, I don't know about this one. I, I don't know that I like this idea so well. Um, but that's what they were saying. There were some people that had came. Certain people came down from Judea and Antioch and were teaching the believers. And as it continues on in verse 2, it says this. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Paul and Barnabas are looking at the individuals that are saying this. You must be circumcised as well. And all of a sudden, they're in sharp debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. So as you look at this idea, we're getting the idea that, okay, Paul and Barnabas heard this. There were a group of individuals that came down and they're like, hey, 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 you're not saved unless this is what has been done. If you haven't had this done, man, you, you can't claim that you're saved. And the men are scratching their heads, right? Paul and Barnabas said, no, 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 that's not the way it goes. And they're in dispute with them. So what are they going to do? They're going to go talk to the apostles up in Jerusalem. And as they, as they decide to go along, they're going to tell their story. Verse 3 says this, The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. The news made all the believers very glad. What were they? They were like us when we see a carnation in here. right? They were excited, and they're happy to hear that people are putting their faith, they're putting their trust in Jesus Christ. And it continues on, that the, as, as this passage continues on, it continues on. When they came to Jerusalem, right, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. So what are they going to do? They're going to report the stories as to what, is, what they have told. And it continues on. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Now, in the New Testament, when we talk about Pharisees, and whenever you've heard me talk about Pharisees, I don't paint Pharisees in a very good light always, right? But right here is one time where the Pharisees, all right, there were some believers, and they're Pharisees, all right? What were the Pharisees? They were the ones that had studied their Old Testament. They wanted to keep the law. But these Pharisees here are Pharisees who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
But however, in the midst of putting their trust in Christ, they have not been able to remove that old law. They've been, they're trying to keep, hold on to that old law that was there. Right? No, no, no. We like the idea of a risen Savior that forgives us of our sins, but there still has to be some semblance of the old along with it. Right? There has to be something along with it. Right? There has to be some marking. And that was the, that was the dispute. That was the problem that the Pharisees are having. Right? And that's what they're thinking. We've we, we got to hold on to that a little bit. The apostles and elders, all right, the next verse says, all right, as we continue on, meant to, meant to consider the question. So there's a question that's popping up. It's what we're hearing. Gentiles are coming to Christ, but they're not circumcised. We need to talk about this. So let's have a meeting. So what continues on? After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Peter, that Peter, Peter, the follower of Jesus Christ, the Peter who had earlier said, I have never eaten in the house of a Gentile when God said, no, 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 I want you to go. You're going to proclaim the gospel to a Gentile. And Peter said, wait, 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 wait. I, I've, never, I've never done that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm clean. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an Orthodox Jew who holds religiously to the beliefs and to the followings. And yeah, there are the times where I screw up, but I don't blow it on the big ones like this. But Peter's life had been changed, and God had told him to go and proclaim. And as a result of that, he stands up and he tells them that. God, who knows the heart, Peter continues, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate, he continues. He did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? Why are you trying to put on them the law of Moses that we weren't able to hold on to? We weren't even able to do this. And now we're going to try to throw this onto them, and they've got to hold the law too. They've got to maintain. They've got to do what it is that we were never able to do. Peter's realizing the, the hypocrisy in that, right? Saying, look, we weren't able to do that. But more importantly, God has saved them by grace just as we have been saved. And he continues and he says, no, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. Just as they are. You see, through the grace of our Lord Jesus, not through the works, not through the law of Moses, not by, by maintaining a certain part of the Ten Commandments, not by maintain, holding on to a handful of them. Those are all direction for life, and those were all part of the Jewish religion, all right? But they are not part of the movement that Jesus has said. Jesus is saying, look, you are saved by grace. It is not by works. In a fuller understanding, we would know that even back then, they were saved through the grace of God. The whole assembly became silent, all right, um, as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, when they finished, James, all right, do you know who this James is here? This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. This is James who was the, had become the pastor, the, the elder, the overseer there of the church in Jerusalem. By the way, did I mention the half-brother of Jesus? What, happen, what, has, what does your brother have to do for you to declare that he's your Lord and Savior? That's what James did. Anybody of you have a brother that want to do that? 
You want to say that about? All right, I've said that before, but I like to say it every time because I want you to be reminded that when James is speaking, James was a half-brother of Jesus, and he declared that his half-brother, that Jesus, his brother that he had grown up with, was his Lord and Savior. That doesn't happen normally in life, right? But James saw something different in his brother Jesus, and his life was changed. And he said, brothers, he said to them, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets, all right? The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. And he goes on and he quotes Amos and talks about David and the change in the tent. But then he finishes up with this statement right here. It is my judgment, therefore, this is James, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult. You see, back in their day with the Pharisees, it was some of the old rules and regulations. It was, it was the idea of circumcision, right, that they had there. As they meet together, the apostles, along with Paul and Barnabas and other leaders of the church, this is the comment that they come out with. We should not make it difficult. When we come together on a Sunday morning, that is our desire, that we believe that we should not make it difficult for people to turn to God. It is not our desire to make it difficult for people to turn to God, but rather we want them to feel welcome. We want them to come in and we want them to realize that we are a body of believers that trust in the Lord and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but we are a body of individuals that are broken as well. There isn't anybody perfect in here, right? A handful of you are really close. All right, but, um, th- but the, re- the, but the rest, we're, we're still working on it. We're still trying. And sometimes some of the things that we hold on to make it difficult for those that are outside the faith. We hold on to our old ways. We hold on to our old beliefs. We hold on to, well, this is the way it worked back when, when, I, was, when I was brought up. And this is what happened in my previous church. And this is how I went here. And, this is a- and sometimes we try to bring that in with us. Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback Community Church, said it this way. He said, we invite unchurched to come and sit in 17th century chairs, which we call pews. We sing 18th century songs, which we call hymns, and listen to a 19th century instrument called a pipe organ. And we wonder why they think we're out of touch. Now, you don't sing in pews here. And I'll ask Abby if she can put that thing in as a pipe organ next week and we can crank out some to the have it. See, we not happening? All right. We'll, we'll crank out some pipe organ music there. And maybe we'll see if there's some pews from an old church someplace that we can bring in and then we can put in here right for us. And, but, but Rick Warren, he's there like, no, no, no. We, we operate some way in ways that are ancient and old and we think that that's what people need to come in and be a part of. But rather Acts and the early apostles were saying, no, We don't want to make it difficult. We want people to realize that they can come in, that they can enjoy being a part of the service here. Um, One of the ways that we look to get rid of this difficulty, all right, is is I want you to think about this, is is music. Some of you may come in and you may say, "Eh, I don't really like that music very well. Others of you, you've come in and music is the reason that you've been here, the reason that you've stayed here, right, because you have enjoyed the music. All right, if you've grown up in church, you know that this is, may, this is more contemporary than a lot of churches. If this is your first church that you've come to, you're like, oh, I didn't know there was a difference. All right, but, but for a lot of people, it is the idea of, of an organ, and we sing hymns, and, 
And by the way, I, I grew up listening to hymns. Um, I grew up uh, with hymns. And you pull out a hymn, I can probably sing it. And I can probably at least nail the first and last verse pretty close, right? Um, see, those of you laughing, you grew up in the same church I did. How about that? Yeah, right? We know the first and last verses. Those middle ones, we're not sure what they're there for. But um, anyway, just to take up space. But, but anyway, we, what did we decide? Um, Bridgewater made a strategic move years ago. It was when Pastor Bob started down in Montrose. Made a strategic move that, you know what? A lot of people don't listen to polka music uh, um, on their way to work. A lot of people don't listen to organ music on their way to work. A lot of people don't have the organ and piano music playing at their home. But rather, what are the radio stations that are popular? popular? They play music that's led by a band and stuff like that. And what did we do? He made the decision, we're going to bring in a band and we're going to have people sing and we're going to sing praises to God. Why? Well, because it's cool, it's hip, and that's what we want to be. No! Because that's, that's what we want people to come in here. We, they hear a drum, they hear a guitar, and all of a sudden they're like, ah, I like that music. They see Matt up here going away on the drums, and they're like, ooh, that guy, I, I, I like him. He's cool. He's got some life in him, right? That, that, that's, the way they, that's the way they operate. You take a look, and you, you, I pick on Matt because he's new this morning, but you have your favorite, whoever your favorite was, um, up here. And that's what, you, that's what you enjoy when you like music. Others are you're like, uh, I, I don't know that I like that music but my kids do, and I'd like my kids to come to church with me, so, so maybe I'll come along. You know, there may come a day, there, there should come a day, where those of us that like this music, we become uncomfortable with the music of the next generation, and we start kicking our foot down, and we say, but those drums are evil. They shouldn't be in church. There's no place for them, right? You can tell how I grew up. Um, they're, they're evil. We'll, we'll come up with something else that'll be evil. It'll be wrong. No, no, no. You got to go back to the drums and the guitar and all that. That's the, that's the, way, that's the way God moves. It's, it's a choice. And we don't always want our personal, our personal opinions to get in the way. We want people that want to come and be a part of this ministry. And we understand. There are some that they'll take a look and they'll say, no, that's, that's not for me. And that's all right. Because there's a lot of great churches out in our area that do it differently. And that's okay. We don't mind that. We want them to go, and we want them to be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ in another location, if that's the case. How about another one, clothing? Clothing is one of my, one of my favorites. Um, I, I call this a jeans church, and I hate jeans. I should have wore jeans this morning. I don't know what I was thinking, but I should have wore them just as an illustration. See, I even conform by wearing jeans. Maybe next week, if I remember, I'll wear them. But, uh, but anyway, clothing. Growing up, I grew up, I, I went to church all my life, and you know what I did? I wore a shirt and tie for as long as I can remember, and once I was old enough to have a suit, you know, I, I wore my suit, and that's how I went to church, and I wore my Sunday dress shoes, you know, I, I dressed up and, and went like that, and a lot of people did that. If, if you're like that, you, you grew up, and you, and you went to church, and you, you were taught to do that, and some of us are there, we need to go back to those days, these people showing up in their jeans, some of them, they got holes in them, and, and the young people, they go, those are my holy jeans, though, so they're right, right they, yeah, that's, that's, so they're appropriate for church. Growing up for me, I was always, I always wore sneakers to everything, and uh, church, you couldn't wear sneakers to church, I had to wear my shoes. As I got older, I was in my early 20s, and my, and my dad's there like, no, Joel, you got to wear your best. And I'm like, but dad, these are my best. If you knew how much I spent for them, they're far more than any shoe I'll ever buy, right? Um, they were my best. He, he didn't find the humor in that. But, but, but one of the things, 70, 80 years ago, men 
and women dressed differently. Men wore suits almost everywhere. Take a look at a baseball game from 70, 80 years ago. What are the men, right? They're wearing a suit and tie to the, tie to the game, baseball game. How many of you have worn a suit and tie to a baseball game recently or any other sporting event? Yeah, we don't do that. Ladies wore dresses almost everywhere they went. Yeah, we don't do that anymore. Nothing wrong with that. And, and by no means, if you want to wear a shirt and tie to church, feel free. If you want to wear a dress to church, feel free. We don't want clothing. We don't want your dress to be a hindrance. We don't want men that don't even own a suit. By the way, I think it's like 25% of men own a suit, I think. Is, is that the number? Some, it's, it's anywhere. It's a low number of how, ma- how few men own a suit. And yet, 40 years ago, if you went into a church, you would have felt out of place if you didn't have a suit and a tie on. Today, men don't do that. We don't, we don't wear suits to work, all right? Heck, some of you, you're still wearing your your pajama bottoms to, to work right now, right? That's, that's, by the way, that's the next generation. And that's when we're going to be putting our foot down saying, you can't come to church in pajamas. Oh, you at least have to get dressed and it's going to drive us back, right? And they're going to have pajama Sunday or something like that. Cut that out of the audio. We don't want anybody to get the idea. <laughs> but clothing, <laughs> we don't want your clothing. We don't want dress to be something that holds people back from attending church. The Pharisees, they were trying to protect what was right. They were trying to protect what was real. They were trying to say, look, this is how we need to go. We need to keep things limited, narrow. And the apostles met and said, no, no, no. We don't want to make things difficult. We want people to come in. We want people to put their faith and trust. How about kids' ministry? I mentioned before that there's a handful of you that are wearing your kids' ministry shirts in here today. Kids' ministry. We want to have an exciting kids' ministry. Why do we want to have an exciting kids' ministry? Because when you're sitting in church with like two or three Kids that are four, two, and one, are you able to pay attention? Are you there? No, Johnny, be quiet. Oh, no, Johnny's opening the book. Oh, no, and it's loud. Everything that your child does is loud, and you're like, no, 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 don't. And all of a sudden, church becomes more of a hassle than it is a joy for you. So what do we want? We want an exciting and vibrant kids' ministry. Why? So that when your children come, they're excited to come and be a part of that. And we are so thankful to those that serve in that ministry. And then finally, the other one, and this one's not big, especially here with us, is Bible translation. Some churches, they're concerned about what Bible translation they use all the time, right? Um, and, they, and they become more worried and more concerned about that than, than, than actually just people living by what the Word says. People applying it to their lives become more concerned with ye and thou and to us word. That's another one of my favorites. Um, that, that's the world that I grew up in, and I, and I love the King James translation of the Bible. I, I really do, but, but we don't use it anymore. Why? Because we don't talk like that. We don't use that kind of English. We don't, we don't want to make it difficult for people coming in when they're hearing it, and they're like, what, what was that that he said? Um, and then there's the whole donkey thing in there. I, I can't say that word, uh, the King James word in church. Why? Anyway, as I mentioned before, we want the Sunday morning service to be like the porch. All right? And why do we want it to be like the porch? Because we believe that the porch, well, at least years ago, your porch was where you welcomed guests. You know, you want to make your porch look nice. You want people to feel welcome to come up onto the porch. Picture those nice porches in your mind that you feel welcome on. You know, um, probably back in the 80s and 90s, it really changed, and maybe more before that for those people that really study it, right? We, we stopped worrying about a front porch, and we worried about a back deck. And what did we do? We started building things for ourselves and our family to hang out in back. Nothing wrong with that at home, correct? Nothing wrong. You want to enjoy that. 
and the porch just became more of a showpiece. But there was a time where neighbors used to join together and go up on the porch. We have neighbors across the street from us that have a gorgeous porch. And every, sum, every spring, they clean it off real well, get it all set up for their summer. And they go out there and they just sit and they enjoy mornings and evenings on their porch. And enjoy, we enjoy talking to them. Um, but most of us, we, we just have a front stoop. But we want that porch to be the idea of people coming and they look at church and they're like, ooh, I want to be a part of that. You see, our Sunday services are not an end into themselves, all right, but rather our Sunday services are something that we want you to come to and that you want to be a part of. You see, this, just this right here, it's not the end. This isn't all there is, but it's what we want you to come and see. We want you to come and become a part of it. We want you to come and we want you to be welcomed here and feel the love of people around you and say, hey, you know, I, I want to go back there. I want to talk more to those individuals. I want to hear more about what they say. You see, our Sunday services are, are designed, our Sunday services are here to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. We want more and better. We want you to feel comfortable to invite a friend. We want you, when you invite, when you invite a friend to church, to not say, oh boy, I don't know what we're going to do this week. Is that pastor going to show up with his khakis again this week? Ah, he looks terrible. Uh, we, we want you to feel welcome. The other thing is our Sunday services are not designed for me. But rather they're designed for the individual that I mentioned before. That individual that may have just been saved this past week and is looking for a church to attend. They're lo designed for that individual that you're there like, you know what, I... I, I I don't know if the whole God thing's true, but I want to go and I want to hear more and I want to learn more. You see, the, it's not designed for me. Sometimes our old beliefs, sometimes some of the things that we hold on to are like my truck. Right here is a picture of my truck. Look at this beauty. Whew. Tell me you don't love that thing. Huh? Tell me that's not like one of the best looking trucks you've ever seen right there. All right? Can I tell you something about this truck right here? This truck is a 1994 Dodge Dakota. Whew. You guys don't love it? Seems strange. Thank you. Thank you. All right. You see, back in the early 90s, somebody thought this color was good for a truck. If you can't see it well enough, it's like a turquoise, and it's extremely ugly. But in the early 90s, somebody thought that was a really good idea on a truck because guys are going to want to drive their big V8 Magnum around with that kind of color on their truck. Um, let's, let's go to the next one because I want to show you that I've had some custom work done on this truck right here. See, we customized the, the side view mirror, all right? It's always best to customize things on there, um, you know, and just keep things like that. Um, you know, dents, there's a few dents. I don't worry about dents. You know, I stand on my truck and cut tree limbs down down at my dad's house. As long as they don't hit, as long as they don't hit plastic glass, I'm happy. As long as nothing breaks, that's fine, right? But, but that's, that, that's my truck. Let, let's continue on. I, I think I have a picture of the inside. Look at, look at the picture. Oh, oh, here's, yeah, there's a picture of the inside. Look at that. How many of you don't want to ride in that? It's here this morning. Don't you go falling in love with it, Clark. It's going home with me. All right? You want to take a look at it there, 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 there it is, all right? Lo looking good, right? But look at this. Look, look at the next picture. We'll show you the back seat. Uh, oh, here's the back seat. If you can see up here well enough, you might not be able to see the lights, but it, we've customized the ceiling as well because the header was falling down, so we just ripped it all out. So now it's just that nice bright orange, whatever, burnt color foam that occasionally falls. But it, most of it's all down now, so it doesn't fall on you anymore. But you see you got this little seat behind you there. My, my kids used to ride back there with me. 
right? We'd go down to my dad's house, and we'd do some work down at his house in this truck. It was wonderful. Right here's the radio that they love. It doesn't work, all right? Right there's the air conditioning button. That doesn't work either, all right? And right here, we could slide this over to heat, and the last couple of years, the heat's actually worked in the winter, so it's nice, all right? It's, it's wonderful. Uh, that, that's my truck. Do you know how many people compliment me on my truck every year? Maybe one. <laughs> Thank you. There, there's one crazy person in Johnson City that whenever he sees me driving around, he actually gives me a thumbs up, so he likes old trucks. I caught another guy a couple of years ago when I was getting in, he's like, hey, I'll bet you can actually work on that thing because under the hood, there's a carburetor, and you can pop that thing up, and you can see under there, there's like space, you can actually see the engine, and if you want your car jumped, this is the one to use because the battery's right in the front, and you can hook them right up there, and you can jump something real easy with it. Do you know how many people want to go for a ride in that truck? Me. Strange thing, none of my kids have ever said, hey, Dad, I'm going out with a special girl tonight. Can I take the truck? <laughs> Seems strange to me, right? It's a good truck. I, you know what? It's, it has four wheels. It runs. It gets from point A to point B. Almost always, there's an occasional breakdown, but other cars break down too. It's not a problem. My friend Chris, he rides with me in this truck every once in a while, and he's gracious enough not to holler at me. But other than that, Deb has never said, hey, we're going out to dinner today. Can you drive your truck? I guess she doesn't agree with country music. Anyway, enough about that. Sometimes, sometimes in church, right, we can love something so much because it meant something to us years ago. And we're not going to let go of it. Even though the entire world out there looks and says, uh, Organ music, that's great. My grandparents really like it. Um, there are still churches that we want to hold on to that. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to hold on to things that, you know what, that really worked well 20 and 30 years ago, and my life was changed. My life was transformed by it. So everybody's life was transformed by it, right? See, sometimes we're more interested in holding on to the old trunk. Let me just let you in on a secret. I hold on to it because I'm cheap. I drive it two or 3,000 miles a year, and I mow lawns, and I haul junk away. From, uh, used to haul it from my dad's house. No, not as much. Um, but anyway, just, we just, I just do that for cheap things like that. Otherwise, I park it in the garage, and now that my kids drive, I end up driving it more because they don't like to drive the truck. You know, maybe... Maybe if we keep doing church like we did in the 90s, maybe our kids will come around and they'll realize that we were right. Maybe my kids, if I hold on to this long enough and insist they drive it, they'll come along and realize, ooh, the truck is a good thing to drive. Even though they look out there and they see other good ones all around them. See, we don't want to be like that in our Christianity. We don't want to just say, well, it worked back then and it still works. It's not broken. Why wouldn't I keep driving it? That's fine for me with that thing because of what I use it for. It might be gone this week. Who knows? But with church, church, the gathering of believers of Jesus Christ, we don't want to be like that. We want to be on the cutting edge. We want to be on the front. We want to be saying, hey, what is it that we can do to reach people that are lost from lost in, and dying in a world? Why? Because they're trapped in their own sin. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the apostles were saying there in Acts. They're saying, no, no, no. We don't want to make it difficult. Listen to what Paul goes on to say a little bit later. 
in 1 Corinthians. Paul says these, these words here. Um, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. What? Paul, you've made yourself a slave to Yes. Why? To win as many as possible. He continues on. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those, to, as he continues, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, he continues on, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Are you kidding me, Paul? That sounds pretty wishy-washy to me. Take a stand on something, would you? Paul says, you know what? No. By whatever means necessary, I will proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if it means being weak, I will be weak to the weak. If it means being like a Jew, I will be like a Jew to the Jew. I will be like a Gentile to the Gentile. Why? So that I can win some. And what does he go on to say there? He goes on to say, I do this all. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Open house. As you come into Bridgewater, we want to be a body of believers that holds to the idea that, you know what? The gospel of Jesus Christ is central, and we will proclaim it, and we will proclaim the truth of it. But we want you to know that the rest of this is stuff that we work with. Why? Not to make the guy that's been a believer for 20, 30, 40 years comfortable, but rather for that person that's looking to come to Christ today. This past week has just come to Christ, or maybe still a couple of weeks out. Hopefully, that's why you're here with us. Hopefully, you're excited about the idea that lives are changed, transformed by the power of the Word of God here at our church as we join together Sunday after Sunday. Pray with me, if you would, please. God, as we close our time this morning, I say thank you, Lord, that you are a gracious God, um, that you even use us, Lord. We say thank you. Lord, may we be encouraged in our lives. May we be encouraged in our walks that we are part of a ministry that, Lord, desires to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. Because that's where we believe that the hope is in this world. That's where we believe that the hope is in their lives. So God, as you continue to work on our hearts, as you continue to work on our lives, as you continue to transform us. Lord, may we be those that are the most welcoming of people because we want to be like Paul and say, I will become whatever it is to those around me that I may see some saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, I say thank you for each one that is here. I pray your blessing upon them. I pray that you might walk with them this week, that, Lord, your spirit might be alive and well within us, that those that need encouragement may be encouraged in their walk, that those that need lifted up, Lord, that you may lift them up, and that, Lord, that each one of us, that we may realize that we have a God who is for us. And, Lord, you are able to do immeasurably more than we ask or even imagine. 
through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. We're going to sing one last song. Why don't you guys stand and join us?